Hey, this is Lisa Ferris from Soundtrack Your Brand. You're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with my friends Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart, the essential weekly music news for the new music business. From Symphonic, the ultimate guide for a kick-ass year 2022. From Hypot, music streaming really does pay. You just aren't doing the math right. Hate math. And from Billboard, should music do more to combat fake streams? We have got so much to talk about. This is episode number 80. It is the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Kick back, relax, and let Jay and I take over the controls. Here we go. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee, on the air, 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 on the for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. All right, Jay, like every Saturday or like every day we record this show, we have almost another show that we've started just talking about the things we're going to talk about on the show. Yeah, it's it's just an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the new music business. There's so much to talk about every week. We actually took off um, one or two stories from this week because these first three, the only three that we're going to talk about this week, there's... There's a lot to unpack there. A lot to unpack is an understatement. And, um, you know, so many of these issues come up, you know, we we revisit many things that we've talked about going back to episode number one. And, um, and then when the newsletter comes out, it is chocked full of things and updates and different takes and different spins and different issues. It's just, it's every week it is so much so many things to consider and again another reason why i so appreciate your newsletter well before <laughs> we started doing the podcast it was you know it, it, there's just so much to digest and you ever since i've known you you are like the the supreme digester you are you 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 <laughs> you get every newsletter you get every you you pour over everything that's coming because that's just the way you are with with information you are like an information magnet the, you are the tractor beam for information and so uh the newsletter was like has always been such a wonderful resource because it really it makes it so much easier to kind of keep up to date and we need to be up to date yeah. there's so much so many changes so many well, things going on yeah thank you brother and and you know when we work together 
back in the day at Universal. I remember pulling down articles and sharing them with with the team. You know, just that kind of that curator. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I rely on several really great curators uh, to kind of keep me posted. And and our listeners are so amazing. Every week I get story ideas or I get, you know, topics um, from listeners. You know, we talked about uh, Bruno from CAA uh, kind of tipping us off on some of the things that were happening with the Latin market. And I, I, it's like standing on the shoulders of giants. I do have publicists that send in, um, you know, articles, uh, article ideas, uh, topics, and that that really helps, you know, um, the, the people who listen to the show send in ideas. Mm-hmm. And then just just every week visiting some of our favorite sites like HypeBot and Music Business Worldwide and Music Ally. And there's so many great uh, variety is really good. Rolling Stone, Billboard. And, you know, I've gotten to know some of those writers a little mm-hmm. bit uh, from doing this, which has just been a joy. But just getting those emails, uh, typically they're, they're Friday, right after the newsletter comes out, someone who wrote the piece or somebody the piece was written about or one of our readers will send me uh, some notes. And it's, it's just a joy every week. Well, and we, you mentioned, and we've mentioned this uh, several times over the, over the episodes, basically. So um, publications like Variety and Rolling Stone, which historically have covered music, um, but not necessarily the music business, um, is uh, is how much how many of these publications have really ramped up their coverage of the business, and so it's yeah it's absolutely yeah. remarkable, and um, yeah yeah it's just absolutely. yeah which is great. However, it's it's just more stuff that we have to kind of uh, weed through, and um, yeah. Well, I like to try to find the people who actually wrote the story because, uh, and did the research. There are a lot of people out there that'll take an idea and say, oh, well, Rolling Stone wrote this and this is what I think about it. And that's fine, but I would rather the people who are actually on the earnings calls, the people who, you know, the the Glenn Peoples and Sherry Hoos and Tim Inghams of the world, you know, Shirley Halpern, uh, those kinds of people who actually do the hard work of digging in and seeing what all of these things mean, uh, you know, uh, I think that that is really helpful to get to the heart of the matter, not just someone's opinion about it. Yes. I mean, if you want someone's opinion, just listen to this program. <laughs> we'll tell you what we think. That's right. It. Exactly. Let me tell you what I think. And by the way, the guy that I get to chat with every week, he is none other than Jay Gilbert. He and I have been working together for ages. I mean, how long is it? Well, that was yeah. 1999 when we connected. I can't, or, Yeah, 98, 99, right around there. Yeah. And I don't have your script up for your specifics, Jay. That's okay. Well, I will tell you that the guy sitting across from me who's looking for his script is Mike Etchart, a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. Mike and I worked in, I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, but there were two divisions. Um, one was ECAT, Electronic Commerce and Advanced Technology. Yes. And then that kind of morphed into eLabs and hmm, 
something else, but that's that's around the time you and I started yes, uh, working together. That's right. And by the way, so I can do this from memory, but Jay, uh, of course, is the founder and creator <laughs> of the Your Morning Coffee podcast, which is new music, which is <laughs> new music news for the new music business. And he is a former executive at Sony Music, at Warner Music, and at the Universal Music Groups. And of course, Fox Home Entertainment was hidden in there for a bit when he, yeah. when he did a little sideways boogie over to the film business and... And uh, yeah. he is a groovy, groovy guy, and uh, not just a pretty face, but boy, he works his butt Aww. off on the on the newsletter, and it's just fantastic. And I'm so lucky to get a chance to do checks this. in the mail. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much, indeed, indeed, indeed. And we also, of course, Jay must mention the folks that get us here, our sponsors. We are so fortunate to have a wonderful yes, group of folks to help us put this on, including the Music Business Association. By the way, the four day Music Biz 2022 conference agenda has just been announced, taking place May 9th through. 12th at the JW Marriott in Nashville, along with returning favorites like the Metadata Summit, hashtag NextGenNow, DSP Workshops, and Brand Summit, to name just a few. You'll find timely new additions for the 2022, for 2022, including conversations on NFTs, gaming and immersive music experiences, catalog acquisitions, and much, much, much more. Visit musicbiz.org. Also, don't forget to uh, register for their upcoming live stream, which I think is Wednesday, if the 23rd is Wednesday. Let's talk physical successes and opportunities for physical music products. That's going to be 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Big thanks to Music Business I'll be, Association. I'll be there. Yes. Yeah. Your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Banzoogle now powers 60,000 musicians' websites. Uh, built, built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform, makes it super easy to build a beautiful website and an EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website, everything's built in. Hosting, custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. <clears throat> Excuse me, just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and that'll get you 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, and... Congratulations to Dave Cool on his promotion over there at Banzoogle. He's now the chief relationship officer, uh, richly deserved for our friend Dave Cool. Yes, aside from uh, having the wonderful name that he does. Uh, and by the way, we're also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by Live Music Discovery and Marketing Platform Bands in Town. Speaking of bands in town, over 65 million live music fans trust bands in town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. The number one artist services platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yes, indeed. So big thanks to Music Business Music Business Association, Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. We appreciate it and could not do it without y'all. So big thanks. We sure do. Indeed. Well, Jay, let us... After we we acknowledge that the Rams won the Super Bowl, uh, let yes. us jump in. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they did. That was. It seemed like that was like four oh weeks God. ago, and it was really just. I know. 
Only last Six weekend. Six days ago, exactly. Yeah. Uh, for us here on a Saturday. Uh, let's jump into this. And well, You know, we talk about the resources and how amazing it is right now. It, I mean, it's it's amazing, yeah. yes, but it's also overwhelming also. How many uh, great be. resources are out there uh, for artists, for musicians, for label heads? And uh, from Symphonic, we're going to talk about the ultimate guide for a kick-ass year 2022 um, and I'm going to pull it up and, oh my God. Well, as you're doing that, you know, Symphonic has just an incredible team and an incredible, um, blog and they, they send out these great, uh, tutorials, uh, to show people how to do things in the music industry. And each year they do this ultimate guide for a kick-ass year. Last year, um, I was, uh, honored to, uh, do a live stream. Um, with Randall Foster on their ultimate guide for a kick-ass year 2021. And it was super fun. I have a great deal of respect and admiration for Randall um, and his team over there. And so this this particular thing, you can download it here for free. Mm -hmm. It is just uh, a wealth of information for uh, not just developing artists, but established artists on things that they can do um, to further their career, things like, you know, release strategy, physical distribution, how to get your music on TikTok and Triller, et cetera, lyric distribution, voice strategy. And we'll talk about all of these in a second, sync licensing, publishing, branding, which is what we're going to start with <clears throat> advertising and a lot more. And again, this guide is free. Um, just grab your morning coffee, click that download, grab that PDF and walk through it. It is one of those things that I print out each year and I make notes on it and it just kind of reminds you to do certain things. Mm -hmm. So let's let's start it off. Uh, th the first one is kind of revisiting your branding and people don't think of their uh, band or their artistry as a brand, but it certainly is. And you certainly need to think about what your narrative is. You know, why should anyone care? And they kick off this guide with revisiting your branding. You know, it says the first thing, Oh, hang on a second. Someone's trying to call me. Um, the first thing you can do is look over your current branding and analyze what could have been done better. And we encourage artists and managers to do this um, usually around the end of the year to kind of look back at what worked, what didn't work, what is your branding, what is your narrative, right? It says, think about what your branding represents. What do you stand for? Mm -hmm. Why is your branding the way it is? Your branding is an extension of you. Take the time to revisit who your target is meant to be and how you want it to be perceived, then make changes to realign your efforts. And I'll just put a fine point on that by saying that we have this conversation frequently um, with artists and managers about finding your tribe. Who is your yeah. audience? You know, who do you want to collaborate with? Who do you want to tour with? Um, how do you want to be perceived? And it comes down to everything that you do, whether it's photo shoots, you know, and videos and banner sets and how your website looks and your socials look. And you have to think about those things. What do you stand for? Who are you? And if, if someone had, you know, 30 seconds in an elevator with somebody influential, what would you want them to say about you? What is that narrative? Right. As they say, so make sure your branding truly expresses who you are. Even just updating your logo to better fit your style could be what draws in more fans in the long run. So it's, you know, and, and we talk about this a lot too, which is, you know, not only do you need to write great music, 
and write songs that Gotta make start people there, cry. Right? Uh, you need to consider these things. These these branding exercises are super valuable, but it, for a lot of artists, it's it's not their core strength. And so it's lovely to have this uh, essentially a line listing of things to consider and it makes it so much easier to have somebody like Symphonic make a lovely resource like this. And it is yeah, lovely. And we yeah. talk about this as well. Not only is the information fantastic, but it's presented in a way that is, that is not overwhelming. And, and that's hard to do. Yeah. The de- yeah. The design is beautiful. They have links to everything yep, in here. They sure do. And, you know, um, my friend, Mike Brandvold always uh, says that, you know, Frequently, like maybe it's at the end of your year, you should look over and change all your passwords and look at your website and make sure that, you know, all the links work and look at your, you know, across DSPs, you know, look at your imaging and your, you know, your banners and what you have there and, you know, make sure that it does fit your brand. Um, the next one is they talk about metadata, which <clears throat> metadata can be confusing to people, but it's actually pretty simple. And they have um, metadata guidelines, a link here that you can go to yep. um, and ways to triple and uh, double and triple check your metadata. Um, but metadata includes information like artist, genre, label, song title, album, all of that stuff. But they go on to talk about the three types of metadata you need to know about um, descriptive metadata ownership slash performing rights metadata and recommend uh, recommendation metadata. And it's so important that you have accurate metadata just, you know, so the right people get paid, for example, um, publishing splits, things like that. But it's really crucial to people um, finding you. Metadata is one of those things that's not super sexy, but they make it really easy to make sure your metadata is correct. And as they mentioned, you know, once your song is already submitted and out in the world making changes will be very difficult so before you submit anything get a second or even third set of eyes on it because you know especially if it's not an area that you're super comfortable so make sure you kind of before you send it off into the world that it's accurate and you've got everything listed in there because this is your money and if it's not right you got some problems so we have a great proofreader on our team, and she finds, uh, uh, her name is Emily, she's awesome. Um, she finds mistakes um, that most people will miss. So you need to have somebody on your team that's got that eagle eye that can look things over and go, uh, that's that's not right. Yes. The next one is offering physical options, and it sounds obvious, but it's really not. I mean, 85% of the business is streaming, and <clears throat> I was talking to uh, Terry Courier uh, from Music Millennium about this one time, and it's frustrating for people who work in indie retail, which built this industry when artists will put something out streaming only. Yes. Um, it's, it's really a slap in the face uh, to a lot of them. You know, when someone goes into one of these stores and says, Hey, I want to get this new record by so-and-so. And they're like, yeah, sorry, that's, that's not available as a CD or vinyl or anything. It's just uh, streaming. So I always recommend that there's, uh, a physical counterpart and that we support our indie retail. And also um, it's self-serving because when you do play live, you've got that merch table and uh, people can take a souvenir home. So when, when they talk about offering physical options, they use a, uh, an example of a company we've talked about before called Crates, Q-R-A-T-E-S, Crates. And um, I've had them on the Music Biz Weekly podcast. Um, I've looked into their service. In a nutshell, what Crates does 
is they help you make vinyl. So they've bought up capacity in all these different markets. So they can, if you're in the United States or Canada or wherever you are, they've got something close by where they've got some capacity to make vinyl for you. And their turnaround times are you know, fairly quick. I'm talking 15, 16 weeks, which is, you know, a lot less than most places today. So what you do is it's, it's all self-serve. You go in there and you upload your audio, you upload your artwork and you can even do crowdfunding. So let's say you don't have enough money to press up a hundred vinyls as the kids are calling them. Um, (laughs) You can put everything in the system, start a crowdfunding campaign. And then once you get to that uh, mark, It'll trigger it and it'll manufacture it. And it's just a really great, you know, I didn't want to make this a commercial for crates, but they they talk about crates in their, you know, physical offering. here. Well, and, you know, in the especially at the major label level and and even in the music business in general, we tend to want to do just one thing, one format. And. And we, you know, you and I have both been involved in not only immersive music and new formats and things like that over the years. And it's like, listen, lots of people like to consume music in different ways. And it's super important to super serve your fans base and and be aware that, yes, streaming might be whatever the number is, 75% of your fans. That's the way they want to deal with it. But that you're, so you're leaving a quarter of them out if you don't consider even compact discs, CDs, or vinyl, yeah. or just other things. And so you've got to be aware that that is, is super important to, to 100%. give everybody something that they want. Yeah. One of the things they talk about here is uh, they point out, you know, if you have an album that got a lot of attention in the past, give it a makeover, you know, repress it with new packaging, consider a limited edition run with different covers, limited edition art, etc. Um, I've seen some artists who have used the vinyl issues to their advantage. So since they can only get a little bit at a time, they'll make each run a different cover. Or a color, I mean, yes. a color variation. And, you know, things like that. And, and they have a pro tip here, which I love. It says, try offering bundles of merchandise at your shows instead of just individual yep. items. Come up with a deal for vinyl plus sticker plus T-shirt, um, not just at your shows, but also, you know, D to C, you know, wherever your products are sold. Um, I think it's important to look at bundles. Um, we're, we're doing a set right now where there's three different deluxe editions. Mm-hmm. And... I remember working at Warner when we did the Led Zeppelin reissues, and there was like four or five uh, packages for each one of those releases. One might be the CD, DVD. One might, you know, the next one might include a book, and the next one, you know, might have vinyl as well. And you look at to to serve your super fans, like you just mentioned a moment ago. There are the that group of fans that want everything mm-hmm. that you do, mm-hmm. and they want to support you. And make sure you have some products for that. And you and I both worked in catalog divisions of major labels. And that's what that's all about, is continually reminding people about an artist, about a legacy artist, about a new artist, about whatever. And and you have to keep refreshing things. That's the most important thing for your catalog. You, yeah. You, it, it's... You know, you it's it's like a garden. You, you know, you, you yes, you got to plant the, the things, but you have to continue to water it and nurture it. And you, if you don't yeah. do that, you're gonna the value of your catalog will decrease. Yeah, it's, it's one of the, another one of the reasons why you need to print out this guide and just kind of yeah. mark it up and highlight it and keep it on your desk. They, they talk about re-releasing things the right way. You know, have songs remixed 
um, release alternate versions, live versions, acoustic versions. Um, we talked about our release cycle with Vintage Trouble, where they did an EP and then did those same songs reimagined, and then those same songs from the next one live. And there's just so many ways that your your fans are hungry for what you're doing. And the days of just dropping an album every 18 months or 24 months are over. You know, it's you you need to have it's an always on music industry. We always say right, mm-hmm. and these are some ways where you can. Um, exploit, and I mean that in the best possible way, uh, your music and keep your fans engaged. Yeah. So in in, uh, speaking of how to maximize your back catalog while working on new releases, which is kind of what we're talking about, they, of course, mentioned new platforms. And like TikTok, of course, that is such a a huge driver these days for for developing artists, for expanding artists, uh, um, their their audience. And boy, if you're not dealing with TikTok in some shape or form, then you're missing really the boat. And uh, they have mentioned here that they've partnered, if, you, if you're a client of, of them, they have partnered with TikTok for various sort of different things. Um, you just got to kind of factor that in. And that is a constant yeah. marketing opportunity if you're an artist and you have a catalog and you have art, you're releasing music. Yeah. I think there's a misconception about TikTok that it's all about dance challenges and uh, 16-year-old kids. But I'll remind people about things like Fleetwood Mac um, That's right. Being used in a, a video that uh, blew that up. Um, it's there are adults on the platform as well, and there are young people that like adult music. And one of the things that you and I learned by working in catalog divisions in the years that we did that is that every year people rediscover John Coltrane, mm-hmm. uh, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley. It's it, these things are you know. Um, icons in the industry, um, Miles Davis. I mean, people every year are learning instruments. They're going to high school, going to college, and they're discovering these uh, these great artists, it, these great catalog and it's, artists. And that's not an accident, by the way, because there's people behind the scenes at labels that own that ca- that that those catalogs that are constantly doing things to to keep it in the public's consciousness. And so, super important to to do that for yourself and be aware that that's going on. Uh, they mentioned yeah. new platforms and formats. Triller. Um, I was yeah. stunned when I read this. I mean, I certainly we've talked about Triller, but 65 million monthly users are earned on Triller yeah. and growing. Yeah. yeah. So the, it's their AI-powered editing format makes it easy to produce professional-looking video content all in one place. What a lovely, again, a wonderful resource. Um, yeah. If, if you know, if you don't have the time, this is a great thing that that to help you get stuff up and super important. Yeah, it's a really great platform. There's so many cool tools and platforms. Um, we should do a show just on that sometime. But you know, where you can create, like if you've ever used Canva, um, there's certain platforms that really help you create, well, and like Triller, really uh, professional. Um, looking assets that you can post online and share uh, for your band and your brand. Uh, the next one is lyrics, you know, getting your lyrics out there, which is super important. You know, there's a, a lot of these DSPs use Music Match, but, you know, through Symphonic, you know, they'll make sure that it's on Apple Music, Lyric Mind. But you, you need to make sure that as you're, whoever you're using for distribution, make sure that you're uploading those uh, lyrics as well and that they're accurate. Yeah, also, um, and of course there's a great link, uh, speaking of Triller, there's a great link uh, for Triller best practices for musicians. So the great thing about this particular 
PDF that you can download. Is it? It takes you yeah. elsewhere if you want to get get deep on one of these issues. Um, yeah. So uh, the next one they talk about here is how to maximize your back catalog while working on new releases, new platforms and formats. Bandcamp. We talk a lot about Bandcamp. Uh, mm -hmm. Bandcamp is one of the largest remaining download stores out there. If you have a lot of catalog, throw it on there. It's a great way for you to create bundles and get download revenue directly from consumers. Yeah, yes. Bandcamp is a is a thing. You know, um, I've purchased a lot of music on mm -hmm. Bandcamp. It's a great music discovery place. Um, plus, it's got this kind of indie vibe that I like to support. The next one is voice yeah. strategy, and I have to be careful what I say because of you know these smart speakers, <laughs> shall we say, um, the Amazon ECHO, um, and all of those. I'm surrounded by every one of them on the market, and the reason for that is when we put out music, I want to say it to these smart speakers and see if they recognize it. Yeah. And sometimes they don't. And if you have a, a good distributor, um, there's a form that you fill out that you, you tell them what you expected to get and what you actually got as far as that messaging. But listen, a lot of people are listening to music via these things. More and more people at home, in their car, you know, portable devices. It's super important. And what, uh, what they say in this uh, guide from Symphonic is 71% of consumers prefer to conduct queries by voice instead of typing. Um, what are they using it for the most? Listening to music. As a musician, it's important to be aware of the shift to come and have a voice strategy ready to go. Here's how to do it. And they have this link um, to how to start developing a voice strategy for your music. It's, it's super important. They also mentioned DSP management. And uh, boy, that is that should, should be highlighted and lit up and everything. And some of the things they talk about here is getting familiar with the data available. And you are the king of data processing. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's uh, you know if you're like me my eyes just glaze over jay gets fired up when he hears about data i'm the exact opposite but it's super important super super <laughs> super important because yeah it's your stuff you know amazon spotify apple deezer bank all of these people you know there's there's stuff you can learn from the data and boy you have to get familiar yeah. with all of it yeah, they talk about, you know, claiming your profiles and, and, you know, what you just mentioned about data, of course, all of these platforms have kind of a dashboard where you can go in and look at the, look at the data. One of my favorite things to do is to look at YouTube, uh, YouTube analytics. You can look by video and see a chart that shows what the lis listenership is on that song. And there's this line at 30 seconds because that's where you get paid. But it's so amazing to me watching that decay because nobody has the patience anymore <laughs> or right. the attention yeah. span to, to watch a whole video. Typically, when you get to 30 seconds in, you've lost, you know, 30 plus percent of your your audience, which drives me crazy. But, it, you know, that's why, you know, don't bore us, get to the chorus, you know, that sort of thing. But the, the one thing I wanted to add to this page is that um, our friend Mike Warner has his book called Work Hard, Playlist Hard, mm -hmm. and the, the new edition is so different than the first edition. They're, they're both good, but the new one takes all of these DSPs and not only shows you how to claim all their your profiles, but kind of shows you how to optimize across the board. So I wanted to get a shameless plug in there for, uh, for Mike Warner and his book because it's such a great um, asset. And then, you know, 
when you talk about data, they have a whole page, you know, under DSP management, digital service provider, that's like Spotify and Apple Music, on getting familiar with the data that's available. And they have a great link here to kind of help you with that. Amazon, Spotify, Apple, Deezer, Bandcamp, you know, they talk about, you know, you can use Chartmetric, which is a great uh, platform to, you know, look at how you're trending across socials and streaming. Um, I've been also using this new, newer platform called Vibrate, mm -hmm. which does similar things, and it has things like um, engagement. So you can see if not only is your audience growing, but are they more engaged? I like to say, you know, it sounds pedantic, but do more of what works and less of what doesn't. You <laughs> Let me know? write that like, down. Let me write that down. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. Yeah. Do more Doctor, of what works. Doctor, hurts when I do this. Well, don't do, do that. <laughs> um, anyway, so, um, and one of the areas, and I'll let you kind of take this one on publishing, one of the areas that I think is so important uh, for distributors is monetization mm -hmm. and symphonic is so focused on monetization across the board. Whenever you talk to them, um, you'll you'll figure out really quickly that they look at all of the different revenue streams, all the different ways to make uh, revenue, not just in you know sales streams and downloads. And I think that's why they are so so valuable. Yeah, and you know the 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 next one up is is super important. And and as before, I mentioned this, it, it has me thinking about. Another great resource we've talked about. We haven't talked about it for a while, but but the Donald Passman, who is a um, a legend, legendary attorney in the music industry, he has written a, a yeah. book that's been. What 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 version are we on? Now? I think it's a tenth. Yeah, I think it's on the I think tenth. It's a tenth edition of it. It's uh, everything you need to know about the music business and. Gosh, it's Jay's going to get his copy right now uh, because it's there. It is, and uh, yeah, it, tenth edition. Yeah, tenth edition, and it is such a valuable resource for anybody and everybody, whether you're an artist or a label executive, because there's so much to know. And this next one, which is uh, well, be, let me just yeah, interrupt yeah. just really quickly, sure. just to finish that thought. Um, this is a, the 10th edition. Uh, the LA Times calls it the industry Bible, but this is unlike, and I've had every version of his book. Yes. Every single one I bought, mm -hmm. this one is That's different. That's right. This one really digs into the new music business, all these things that we're talking about, you know, like Roblox and TikTok and Peloton and all of these things that weren't around a few yeah. years ago. So again, we're not being uh, paid by Mr. Passman, but we highly recommend um, all you need to know about the music business. One of the best books uh, out there. However, if he does want to send a check to us, we will cash the check. Just as an FYI. Yes, thank you. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, right. So one of the things though they're, they're talking about is and rights management uh, is you need to register or make sure you you are registered with a performing rights organization like ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC. It's crucial because these are the people that make sure you're getting paid every time your song is played. As I say, but don't stop there. You'll also want to look into mechanical royalties, which is the money you make when something is downloaded or sold on, say, iTunes, which ASCAP, CSAC, and BMI don't cover. So there's a wonderful link about learn everything you need to know and more with these helpful resources, which is a copyright crash course, uh, types of publishing deals and how they work, and what you need to know about TV and radio royalties. So there's all kinds yeah. of stuff out there that you need to be registered with you know, we talk about mailbox money and it's, you know, listen, it, maybe it's 15 bucks, but that's 15 bucks that you are leaving on the table. So yeah, don't leave a penny on the yeah. table. Yeah. And I think with publishing, it's, it's a little confusing mm -hmm. um, to a lot of people. Our business is so 
nuanced. And not everyone understands um, mechanicals or publishing. And these guides that we're talking about, especially this overall guide here, you know, I had to have a, you know, a kick-ass year 2022 from Symphonic. They have all these links in here. Everything you need to know is yeah. right here. And, and I'm surprised that, you know, this isn't something they're charging for because it's, it's so valuable. And we highly encourage everyone to, uh, to download this. They do touch on uh, neighboring rights. Um, so neighboring rights uh, refer to the right to publicly perform or broadcast a sound. Um, sound recording owners, record labels, artists, collect neighboring rights royalties whenever their sound recordings are publicly performed on satellite radio like Sirius XM, internet radio like Pandora, BBC, cable TV, music channels, TV outside of the United States, mm -hmm. and terrestrial radio outside of the United States. So that's, that's really important too. Yep, a lot of great stuff. Wonderful piece by Symphonic. And again, I mean... I will tip my uh, virtual hat to them because it's a lot of work to, to put these things together, and it's so valuable to their clients and to anybody. Um, but you have to recognize that it's it takes a lot of uh, people power to put one of these uh, lists together, and boy, good on them, and thank you. So huge, huge resource and yeah. wonderful. And, and worth we're, your time. you and I are just we're just scratching the surface. No, yes. There's so much more in this. Um, one of my favorite uh, pages in here is about uh, release music best practices, and it has marketing drivers. So we highly encourage you to download this thing, but we could talk for hours just about this this one deck. Yes, indeed. And even stuff like setting up your business entity is mentioned here. So it's it's super deep, it's super wonderful, and it's, it's free. <laughs> Did we mention it's free? And... Uh, you know, it's uh, get get cozy with it and really kind of look and see where you are within all of these different areas. It's a wonderful resource. Yeah. So big thanks to Simple. Absolutely. All right, Jay, let's yep. jump over to the next article from Hypebot. Music streaming really does pay. You just aren't doing the math right. And I mentioned, I think, at the top of it, Jay, I hate math. So uh, <laughs> forgive me for not getting the math right. But uh, it's a really interesting article. It's by Anthony Manker. It um, really is. And... Uh, you know, this is the, the, the narrative. The streaming is evil narrative is doing more harm than good, particularly for independent artists. So he kind of is breaking down uh, mm -hmm. some uh, some details. And, and it kind of starts with basically, you know, Neil, somebody had, I think somebody had uh, posted uh, somewhere, maybe on Twitter or something, saying about the Neil Young controversy. And he said, I'm sure Neil Young will survive without receiving his approximately $10 monthly streaming royalties from Spotify. Well, yeah, not exactly. So uh, Anthony writes, you know, for the record, Neil Young's catalog earns about 13 million streams per month on Spotify alone, which is just a little under $45,000 per month. So, well, now you have my attention, Mr. Math. Um, yeah. That is, you know, so, we're, so there are artists that are making a lot of money on Spotify from streams. Not everybody does, but... You know, we, as we jump into the economics of music streaming, it is um, it is not insignificant for certain artists. Right, right. And it's what this article points out is just the other side of the argument because we hear constantly uh, streaming is ripping off artists, or they'll they usually poke at uh, Spotify and pick on them and say Spotify is you know 
Um, they're ripping off the artist. Well, I've never really felt that, although, you know, are they perfect? No, and we'll go into that in a second. <clears throat> but that narrative is just so easy to say. Um, but, you know, he talks about the article from the New York Times. It was streaming save music, artists hate it. And it claims that, quote, the losers are the 99% of artists who aren't at Beyonce's level of fame. And he says this is really a vast oversimplification. And, then, and there was an article recently in Rolling Stone that claimed that streaming has widened the income disparity between smaller and bigger artists. Um, this one does contain some nuance, but mostly misses the point. It regurgitates commonly held harmful beliefs about music streaming. Streaming services don't share what percentage of streams come from editorial playlists, but our guess is somewhere around, you know, a lot. <laughs> right. But, you know, this, everything, when, when you talk about streaming is, you know, you and I started growing up in bands, uh, started playing in bands when we were young. And, you know, in those days, there were gatekeepers, if you want, for the most part. You could certainly release your own album. Um, and there were independent, there was a, a, a lots of independent labels. But for the most part, you kind of had to get the attention of a label if you wanted to, if you wanted to get your music out there. There are no gatekeepers anymore. And when there are no gatekeepers, there is just a flood of music being uploaded. So should the kid that just cre created something in GarageBand that may or may not be worthwhile, that may or may not be a great song, can they, should they really be making the same amount of money that Beyonce is? Of course not. They shouldn't be. But what, and the number that we talked about, are we at 70,000 a day, give or take, of, yeah. of new music being uploaded to Spotify and the other DSPs? You're talking about a insane flood of music out there, and so many tracks never get played, not a single time. So you know yeah. it's 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 and That's and right. the music business has always been you know the domain like anything of a few artists are able to make a fabulous living, and always been that always way. been that way, and so. Uh, they, they, he mentions in the article, he says, Spotify is paying out almost 75% of, of its revenue to rights holders. And they say he has never been profitable. But I was kind of curious, and we, we talked about this before we came on. I'm like, okay, that means they're still holding on to 25% of, of, of profit, of revenue. And so I'm like, I wonder what Netflix, what's their profit margin? And so, because that's mm -hmm. a similar you know, vibe. And uh, the most recent uh, number I saw for, for Netflix from, from the last quarter of 2021 was uh, a, a profit margin of about 17%, which is, which is the highest it's ever been. And I attribute that to the fact that they're creating their own content. There's lots of, of content that, that Netflix now has that they own. But if you go back just a year or two, they never really got above a 10% profit margin. Wow. So when we talk about Spotify enjoying a 25% profit margin, that's pretty substantial considering they own none of the content. And you mentioned that their offices in New York are quite extravagant. And so, yeah. you know, I... Uh, yeah. So yeah. And let's break down that that 75%. It, yeah. For those who are, you know, keeping track, it's 74.42, but sure. let's just call it 75%. And that... That includes, you know, around 63% roughly that goes to the rights holders, mm -hmm. typically the label, um, and then about 10% that goes to the songwriters via the publishers. And if you've listened to this show, you know we've talked about this a lot, that that 10%, um, the NMPA is pushing that to be... Uh, 
20% yes. through the Copyright Royalty Board proceedings right now, while Spotify and these other DSPs are really pushing to keep that at uh, 10%. Um, it, sh- it was agreed that it would go to 15% at the last CRB, but that's still being, um, you know, they're still fighting over that. They're contesting yes. that. So, you know, when you talk about how much uh, Spotify or any DSP, you know, not to pick on Spotify, if they're, if they're taking 25%, that doesn't sound like a lot. But to your point, compared to other industries, that's a lot. And maybe they should be paying more to the songwriters that actually created it. And and the other thing that you and I always talk about is people kind of miss the point of it's not just about that payout of that third of a penny or whatever. It's about the value it creates for the company. Yes. How much is that company worth? How much, you know, I, I'd read that I think Daniel Eck is worth like $3.8 or something like that. And that's something we need to consider as well. Yes. And as as the the this fight goes on, given, given uh, Spotify's you know, challenging situation with Neil Young and with the Joe Rogan thing, it would be a great time for them to come out and say, you know what, we're going to pay this, the publishing, we're going to go with the 15%, like, like, like it was, it was put into place last year or whenever that was. Um, they yeah. have a wonderful opportunity to do the right thing when it comes to some of these things. And they are not taking advantage of that. And that's very disappointing. Right. Very, very, very disappointing. Yeah. And, and to be fair, this article really isn't saying that. It's no. really more saying that you're misunderstanding the math here. Artists are paid, you know, a 15 to 25% royalty after costs and deductions are recouped. So when we say that this money is paid to the rights holders, Unless you're an indie artist, typically that's that's going to your label, and you're you're making fifteen to twenty five percent of that. People often fail to mention that sometimes there's six and seven figure advances for those artists, you know, with, which are paid when they sign their deal, and that's in exchange for handing over their masters. So, um, complaining about payouts without considering these deals is neglecting a crucial aspect of the situation and c- contributes to the false narrative. You know, I think that's. I think that's fair. It's fair. Yeah, it is. Um, and, they, you know, he kind of breaks down, you know, when we, we talk about what artists are making, there's there's different classes of artists. You know, there are major label artists, and those artists, as you mentioned, are they're not making the full amount, and it's being recouped based on advances and things like that. You've got kind of, right. you've got artists that might be licensing product to major labels, but then there's also the growing class of, as I say, purely independent artists. And that, you know, there are, uh, there are uh, artists that have a catalog that, that can make up to, you know, three to $6,000 per month, which is not insignificant amounts of money. It's, 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 it's money to live on potentially depending on where you live. Um, so there, that, right, that is right. happening and, and, um, yeah, it's increasing, right? Yeah. He, he says that the number of artists, um, earning $50,000 a year has been consistently going up over over the last three years and his argument is that there's never been a greater opportunity in the music industry for an artist to release their own music and earn a livable income directly from it um and i i I really enjoyed this article but where it really gets good and we won't go too deep into it is when you get into the comments uh (laughs) section yes uh you know Former, you know, uh, CEO of TuneCore, the founder and former CEO Jeff Price, um, his his responses, you know, he, he says things like, 
I'm just going to read a couple of lines out of this because it's a long um, response, but it's it's really interesting. He says Spotify pays no royalties at all for a trial subscriber, but Spotify reports the trial subscriber in its public filings, thereby increasing its share price. Now, we've been talking about that a little bit, that this market share is really mm-hmm. what they're after, and that, that affects their their uh, their stock price. And he says it in his response that Spotify's value is not predicated on profit. It's based on market share. And he says that the problem is that the interests and goals of Spotify are not aligned with the artists and labels. Yeah. Spotify makes money off market share, whereas artists and labels make money off the sale or license of their music. Um, I mean, there's so much in here to kind of unpack. And I, I do want to look at this a little more carefully and there's some other things that we can talk about, but I also want to touch on um, another uh, article that I put right alongside of this in your morning coffee, which we'll talk about in a second from Rolling Stone where uh, Davis, David Macias um, from 30 Tigers um, is interviewed and the headline is vilification is easy. Spotify isn't the culprit says head of indie label 30 Tigers. So um, I'd like to, dig into that a little bit as well. But uh, let, let, let's continue talking about this this Hypebot piece um, that was written by Anthony Manker of uh, Group Projects because there's still a little bit more to unpack. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of back and forth if you look at the comments below between the the author mm-hmm. and and uh, and folks that, that kind of commented on it. So it's, you know, it, it, it's really challenging. Well, well, I will also kind of talk about it. We were talking about gatekeepers a second ago and how there really right, aren't any gatekeepers. Right. But then he mentions here a note on gatekeepers and editorial playlists. He says, human curated editorial playlists are sometimes used to support the assertion that music streaming services are just new forms of the age-old problem with music industry gatekeepers. They are portrayed as the new power brokers that contribute to disparity in the music marketplace. But he's saying that the the influence of these playlists is greatly overestimated, which has caused a general obsession within the industry with getting music placed on them. Now, truer words have not been spoken, that that right line, because we were talking about this before we got on, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more, which is, you know, the, the, the proliferation of fake streams because the obsession with getting music on playlists. He said, it's true that some playlists do have massive audiences and can generate significant amounts of streaming activity. However, most of the streaming activity in healthy artist profiles tend to come from algorithmic recommendations and engaged fan bases, not decisions made by human curators. Let let me interject there because that is the most important thing that I read in, in this entire piece. And it's true because I'm looking at like maybe 25 artists across the board. And I would say on average... Uh, over a quarter of the spins are coming, if we're talking about Spotify mm-hmm. only, only over a quarter of those spins are coming from their, what I call personalized playlists. Some people call them algorithmically mm-hmm. created, uh, curated playlists, Discover Weekly, uh, Release Radar, Radio, some of those. Some of, some of my artists, like half of their plays are coming from that. So that line that you just read, I think is, is super important. Um, to this piece. Yeah, so so again I love that that that, that phrase. It's, it's it's talking about a healthy artist profile and he says that is one that is not over leveraged by editorial playlists, i.e. it does not overly rely on editorial playlists for streaming activity. He says anything above 25% of streams from editorial playlists start to become questionable and unsustainable. So 
you know, but that's a hard conversation to have because what does every artist, every manager tell you? <laughs> I want to, I want to be on more playlists, right? And and it's yeah. it's a, a, a it's a problem. But you have to ask the question whenever a manager will say to me, you know, I want to be on these these playlists. Um, my question typically is why, mm-hmm. right? Because some of these playlists you're only on for a week, sometimes two weeks and then you're done. A playlist is not a marketing plan, uh, you know, like we say. But once in a while, I'll get a, um, someone who will say, well, I want my artists on New Music Friday. And I'll say, well, what, what artists at your level are on New Music Friday? <laughs> right? right? Um, assuming that the song is amazing. Um, but you have to kind of look at uh, playlists holistically. There are user-curated playlists, and there's lots of them, and I would rather be on a whole bunch of user-curated playlists than just one big Spotify-curated playlist. And the thing about playlists, if you're not in the first 15 tracks, you know, a, a lot of that engagement goes way down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more of a lean-back experience. So I do want to touch just uh, quickly on this that piece in Rolling Stone about um, that they interviewed David uh, Macias. He's a, the owner and co-founder of the Nashville-based label services company, 30 Tigers. He's been frustrated by what he sees as a lopsided conversation, scapegoating Spotify as the lone nefarious corporate giant in, in the music industry. He says that on the whole, at 30 Tigers, a general rule of thumb is that their artists earn 75% of the growth. Gross, sorry. We split the remaining 25% with The Orchard, who's our distributor. Last year, we did about $36 million in sales. And, you know, 10 to 12% of that we keep, and that's how we pay our staff, right? And, you know, keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have 27 people that work there. We, we, we go out there and act as a label would on behalf of an artist, um, but we allow the artist to keep ownership of their work. So they, they keep the masters um, after that term is over. The artists, you know, they're, they're kind of their own label. And, uh, you know, any expense or advance comes out of the 75% that the artist earns. Um, but because they are their own label, there are lots of ancillary revenues that can flow to them. Merch, you know, uh, sync uh, placements, that, that goes directly to them. And he says if an artist streams a million times, they should get around $4,000. And that's in line with what you and I typically say. It's between three dollars and $5,000, depending you know, on, the, on the month and the platforms. And even though it seems like a million streams is a ton, last month, 45 of their 100 artists streamed over a million times, right? And some considerably more than that. Um, so Spotify is currently the scapegoat for the ills of the working class artists, despite them paying, you know, what we just described, 63% to the rights holders mm-hmm. and 10%, which should be higher to publishers. Um, so is Spotify perfect? No, far from it. He says, do I wish, you know, Spotify wasn't joining the other DSPs and appealing that copyright royalty board ruling? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, but in a country where business failure rate is 65% over 10 years, should artists be immune from their businesses failing? Yeah, vilification is easy, mm-hmm. right? Um, he's heard that from people um, and that the system is broken. But he, he kind of counters that um, with, with this piece in Rolling Stone. And I know he took a lot of heat for that. But I think the, you know, there's a, a, a song by Ricky Warwick where he sings, there's three sides to every story. Yours, mine, and the truth, Mm -hmm. right? And I think we've been kind of looking at one side of this argument a little bit too much, and now we're getting some 
some things on the other side. And I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I don't think that Spotify is the bad guy, but they are fighting paying publishers more. Yeah. Um, they're certainly increasing the value of their executives and their company. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Mm. Well, it's something we will cover again and again and again. So <laughs> great article worth checking out. And let's, let's grab the last one, Jay, which is from Billboard. Should music do more to combat fake streams? And uh, this is by Micah Singleton. Um, and, you know, as, as, uh, as, the, as the subline is, it's, dis, it's dishonest artists stealing from honest artists. And that's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. We talk about this all the time. You know, uh, Dustin Boyer and Maddie Elise, you know, from Shark Attack. Um, she, well, and Dustin were two of the first people to kind of shout from the rooftops, you know, that I started reading about, about not only how you can tell if your artists have been botted, um, but how rampant this is. And there was a great piece in Rolling Stone that you and I covered where they captured a, a recording of a Zoom conversation with a manager, uh, a spot, uh, I'm sorry, a uh, playlisting um, platform. Um, how, do you, how do you say that? It, it's a playlisting promotion platform where they were essentially saying, we're going to get you millions of streams. And it's absolutely rampant right now. And... They're starting to write uh, more about it. This 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 particular piece that you mentioned is part of uh, Plugged In, which is a Billboard column, um, which is pretty cool. Um, this week, it, they talk about how streaming fraud is still a critical issue in many countries around the world. Um, some of the countries are actually doing something about it. Uh, recently, Brazil did something about it. Germany, they're they're cracking down on you know these bots and spin farms and these these platforms that are making money off the backs um, of all these other artists. Cause remember it's not a victimless crime. Well, and let's, let's review what it is, what it really is. So, you know, essentially let's say you've got a computer sitting in your, in your living room and you're an artist, you've uploaded to, um, to, to all the DSPs and you just start, you take that computer and you start listening to your song over and over and over and over and over again. So that's essentially what we're talking about. The, the, that can be scaled to much larger, uh, a lot more computers and things like that, but it's people gaming the system. And the reason it's theft, of course, is because there is a, a finite pie every month of money that can go out to, to artists whose music is being listened to on Spotify or on any DSP. And if it's being artificially pumped up like that, by that, then you are taking money from people whose songs are legitimately being played and listened to by by humans and but not you know we've we worked in the business for a long time and uh, you you saw it in radio you saw this is this this these things are not new and people are looking for that leg up and but it's yeah. it's an issue and um, and the number when you talk to different people it's 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 different, uh, different opinions on how big of an issue it is, but everybody agrees it's big, and it is a yeah, real problem. Yeah, I think now, yeah, it is, and I think now um, major CEOs are starting to uh, speak up. Um, a lot of them aren't going on the record, and not in this piece, but you know they're talking about uh, CEO. One of them, you know, says it's 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 really more of the major labels yeah. that are paying these firms to do it. And it's usually like two or three degrees disconnected and they, they want, 
they want that to be the case. Sure. You know, labor a label will hire uh, a legit agency, and then that legit agency outsources a piece of the marketing spend to maybe not so legit agency. I get decks every week pitches from playlist promotion companies that say for X amount of dollars, I will get you this many uh, streams or likes or follows or, or whatever. And in the beginning, it was kind of a small, a small thing. Now it is becoming a big thing. And we, there are companies out there. In fact, I'm, I'm meeting with one next week, which I'll, I'll talk about later that's combating this, identifying it, finding out where the sources are. If you use data platforms like we do, and it's pretty easy to see mm -hmm. when someone's been botted. You know, Maddie at least has a great article that you can find if you Google it on how to tell if you, your account's been botted. Um, but I always look at audience growth versus engagement, and that's why I love that platform, Vibrate, yeah. because they have a whole section just on engagement. And so you can see how your audience is growing during a release cycle, but then right below it, what's happening with your engagement? Yeah. And if you get, you know, and I see this all the time, like on Spotify for artists, for example, I'll see the number of spins are chugging along at let's say 500, you know, or so a day, 500. Then all of a sudden it goes to 10,001, 10,003, 10,001 again, like almost to the number 10,000 for let's say a week. Then it drops back down to that 500, 500, 500. Sure. That, that, that's a red flag to me um, because it's not typical uh, behavior to have those numbers be like that and frankly i've let artists know you know look you, you've been botted and typically what i found is that it's they've hired a publicist or a radio promotion person and a lot of their business has been taken away because people are saying well listen i need to put my money into playlist promotion so they're like oh well i do i that. can do that yes. and then and they will hire yes. uh, some white label to do that so you know I will be talking about this more uh, in the coming weeks, but it is a massive, massive problem, these fake streams. Yeah. And, I mean, is your sense that the major labels truly want to, you know, want to limit? I mean, listen, the, 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 what you don't want to happen is, is for Spotify to, to recognize that it's, it's being uh, gamed and then take your music down. So ultimately, yeah, which they've done, which right? they've done. And uh, my guess is they will continue to do that. Um, well, it's sort of two part questions. Do the majors really want that changed? A. And then the second question is, why aren't uh, couldn't couldn't the DSPs be a lot more aggressive in this space than they are? Yes, I think that's those are great questions. The first one about labels is yes and no. It depends what your mm -hmm. job is at the label. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're the CFO, you want this stuff to end right now. If you're promoting an artist and, you know, it's, you know, all's fair in love and war, you're, you're going after that. You need that artist to, to succeed any way possible. And, and it's not just the initial, let's say those fake streams. It's, it's kind of starting that fire is what they're looking at. So if they get millions of streams for an artist, well, then that these algorithms at these DSPs might pick that up and say, oh, this thing's actually happening here, so we're going to add it to these. It's a self-fulfilling kind of thing. And then they can say, oh, well, we've crossed this many, and, and this artist is legit because of this. So yes and no on the label side. What was the second question? I'm old. Couldn't could the DSPs be far more aggressive than they are in in clamping down on this? Like 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 I, I think I I don't. It's not transparent what Apple Music, Deezer, Amazon. It's 
I, I haven't read much about what they're doing to combat it, although I'm sure they are. Um, Spotify at the beginning of the year, you and I reported on it, took down, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of songs um, that they could tell um, were, were using bots and spin farms. So I think they, at least in the press, seem a little bit more aggressive um, than most. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, these things come from free tiers, and typically they come from certain countries. So it's, it's fairly easy for them to look at their data and see uh, how this is going. But to answer your question in a broader context, I think that as an industry, we need to uh, be unified and go after this in a big way and shut it down. Um, uh, Mike Warner on uh, LinkedIn this last week um, was talking about do not, do not pay for streams. Yeah. Don't do it. And we've said that at Label Logic for years. There's never a case where it's a good idea. No. Um, at worst, you're going to get your music pulled down off the DSPs. But even if you don't, those aren't real fans. Mm-hmm. They're not going to buy a T-shirt. They're not going to you know, come see you live. It, it's not worth it. No, not worth it. Not worth it. All right. On that note, Jay, we need to wrap up episode number 80. I want to thank everyone for listening in today. We also want to thank the Music Business Association, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town for making it happen for us because we could not do it without them. And uh, my good friend Jay and I certainly recognize that uh, everyone who listens has many other choices to listen to, and we appreciate that you land with us. uh, We we never take that for granted. So big thanks. And uh, thanks for joining us this week. We'll be back next week with episode number 81 on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.